Howdy, this is Jeremiah, and this is So Grow Listen, nurturing the soil, feeding the community, one meal at a time. The babysitters were sick this evening, so the kids and the wife will not be joining us. Instead, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Kyle from Clover Microgreens. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Nice to be here. So... We're going to talk about microgreens. We're going to talk a little bit about farming and a little bit of some lessons learned in marketing. So, Kyle, why did you get into microgreens? Well, I just really noticed there wasn't a consistent uh, provider of microgreens in the area and uh, just started tinkering with it and growing a few, growing a few trays here and there and kind of realized how smooth it could be um, and how consistent it it could be if if structured correctly um so that's that's really what started it prior to me growing them i really hadn't heard about them and i've noticed the same thing from doing the farmers market for about 2 years now um just talking to people in general a lot of people just aren't they know what sprouts are like alfalfa sprouts things like that but they weren't sure what microgreens were so that's uh, that's really why I got into it because curiosity and when I kind of get into something, I just nerd out on it a little bit. And so that's how it started. So how long ago have you been doing it? I've been going two years now, two full years. And what have you found doing microgreens at the farmer's markets and which farmer's market particularly? So I've been set up at the Botetot farmer's market for the last two farmer seasons, uh, which is basically May through October. Um, and what I found is, is people just need consistency from the farmers. Um, they need somebody that's going to show up and be there and just somebody that's knowledgeable about their products in general and that cares about what they're growing. Uh, is there a lucrative microgreens business as we see all the time on social media? I think it's there. And I think, uh, if you had nothing else going on, and that was what you poured your heart and soul into, that it could absolutely blow up the way you wanted it to. Um, I don't think this market necessarily will support it at this time, but it's getting better. I know, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, a little bit about profits a little bit before the show. And I know last year I doubled what I did the year before. And I think a lot of it just comes from being there and consistency. And so I think a lot of these people that you see on YouTube, and uh, TikTok, things like that. I think they've they've been in business for several years prior to them actually blowing up. Um, so I do think in certain markets, or they just luck out and they're in a market that you know that everybody wants it and knows what the product is. Well, I was actually talking to a customer of mine the other day, and his wife is a nutritionist, and he's big into cleaning and everything. And he didn't even realize what microgreens were. Yeah. 
And so that's kind of the hurdle you particularly have to go with. And I, I've really learned that with chicken, you have to educate the customers a lot for them in order to purchase it. But with microgreens, it's they're starting to show up in stores now, your big yep. box stores. Yep. So what are some of the health benefits, particularly for microgreens? So basically pound for pound uh, microgreens versus the adult <laughs> vegetables, whether it be broccoli or kale, things like that. Um, pound for pound, the microgreens are about 30% more nutritious. So obviously from like a sustainability, not necessarily sustainability, but um, resources wise, it takes me two weeks to grow a, you know, a plant, a set of, to a harvest from seed to harvest about two weeks. Um, how long does it take you to grow a thing of kale from start I mean, to finish? baby kale is 60 days, 45, so 60 days. I can turn three, three rotations in the time that you're doing one, one planting. Um, of course you're going through a lot more seed. I'm going through a ton more seeds than you. <laughs> um, but as far as other inputs, uh, fertilizer, water, soil, um, actually you're probably going through less soil cause you reuse yours. I can't reuse mine. <laughs> so I don't know. It, there's, there's trade-offs. Um, but pound for pound, they're, they're just supposed to be more nutritious. Uh, there's been a lot of medical journals that have posted, commentary and and studies on microgreens uh broccoli in particular is loaded with all kinds of antioxidants and uh antioxidants that help your body produce other antioxidants so what are some of the microgreen types you can grow so you've already mentioned kale and broccoli so any of the brassicas basically any vegetable that's not a nightshade so you can't do tomatoes eggplant peppers things like that uh, any of the brassicas, you can do celery, you can do uh, carrots, people do onions and chives. Um, cilantro herbs. Yeah, there's a lot of micro herbs, the the cilantro, the chives, like I said, um, even some edible flowers, um, hmm. marigolds and nerstranthums. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> uh, anyway, a lot of your edible flowers, but one of the most popular ones is probably sunflower, broccoli. Uh, a lot of radish. Uh, I do a lot of radish, a lot of mustard green, kale. So with like some of your more flavorful, such as your mustards or your radishes, because there's mild radishes, there's also what do they call them, more hot. Yeah, they're or, just a little more spicy, like kind of like radish. a wasabi radish is and, a more spicy one. And so people usually eat these as accents, eat these. How do people usually consume these? So I would say – in in home use, probably the radishes and mustards probably good on like tacos, burritos, things like that. Like if you, if you've had taco night, you know that's a good night to have the broccoli or I'm sorry, the uh, mustards or radishes. Uh, broccoli is more mild, so probably just in a salad or maybe in a smoothie or something. Um, sunflower and peas are very mild and can actually hold up to some cooking, so you can saute them like you would a green. Um, but they're all, I mean, you can use them as a garnish. That's what a lot of the restaurants use them for. And, uh, they just, do have a lot of flavor, especially the radishes and the mustards. Yeah. You can get some really good flavor profiles. I think the, I think the peas, the radish, the mustards, they're, they just got, you know, at a, one of my favorites, the cilantro, it does take a little longer to grow, but a little dab will do you, you know, it's, uh, 
you can take a couple sprigs and throw it in a dish and it just, it's got a good punch. So what have you learned growing microgreens and how, how much do you grow? Oh, typically. Typically I, we use 10 by 20 trays, uh, just nursery trays. And I'm usually turning over about 10 to 15 trays a week, uh, for my production right now. So 10 to 15. So you're probably using like four, four or five shells. I have two shelves that I use. Okay. Uh, so I can fit 30, 24 trays per shelf. So, and one shelf I generally keep, that's where I start the seeds. So I get the seeds started on one shelf and they're kind of in a blackout area. And then the next seed, the next trays or the next shelf is where I've got the lights. And everything. We, we did a little microgreens last year just to offer a variety for some of our CSA members. And there's a knack to it more so than definitely TikTok and Instagram. Uh, will show it because yeah. there was some, there was quite a few throwaways trays. I found, uh, soil is my biggest issue. I've, I've tried to cut costs where I can to, you know, to make them more affordable. Um, and it, it's ended up that I've just had to make sure I had a really good soil that wasn't full of gnat eggs and, you know, fungus, things like that. So, so what do you sell your microgreens for? So for an ounce of broccoli, I believe we're at like $6 for an ounce. Um, and then it, it just depends. So the, the containers are eight ounce containers. Volume. Volume. And it, for broccoli, it's just a smaller microgreen. So an eight ounce container filled to the top as much as I could put in there without mashing them down and making them mushy is about an ounce, ounce and a half. So what have you found from your customer base? People keep coming back. People like it. Most of my customers are regulars. So once they've tried them once, they come back week after week um, and try whatever varieties. I try to keep a a good mix on hand. Now, of course, you can raise these in the off year round. So there is no season for you. The only season I have is the farmer's market. So the farmer's market's literally closed for winter. So have you found other alternatives to sell it or not really pursued it? I'll be real honest. I have, I don't get a lot of requests in the off season. Um, so it's a convenience factor. People don't want to go out of their way. Right. But since they're at the farmer's market already, they'll Correct. go ahead and pick Correct. it up. Um, I do have a couple people that I'll drop off. I have some people at my church that, that order from me, things like that. And they order year round. I've noticed some other farmers are starting to offer microgreens on. <laughs> I'm starting to realize that some farmers are starting to offer microgreens in addition to their, you know, their different existing variety of greens and stuff. I'd be curious to know how they've done because I've heard some other store stores like I was talking to Melvin Swan to Fork and mm-hmm. she quit carrying microgreens. Was it is yours correct? Because they didn't sell. No, that was, was uh, I can't remember who she was using, but they the turnover wasn't happening. So they were going bad. I mean, if you don't use them within about a week, they kind of, they kind of lose their benefits. Yeah. The, so that goes back to the point where, you know, educating people. Cause I really hadn't heard about microgreens. It was cause microgreens kind of have replaced sprouts because, they're, extent, well, yeah. they're safer. Right. There are, they are different plants, right? But you have less issues with, uh, E. coli and stuff because how the 
uh, microgreens are grown right. versus just sprouted. Right. So it sprouts, you're soaking them in water, and they're usually sitting in that water. And if you're not changing that water consistently and not they don't have airflow, you can run into all kinds of other bacterial issues. So, And, and even microgreens are still more nutritious than sprouts. Correct. Because you got a day job now. I do have a day job, but I, I've had a day job the whole time. Um, so now I'm actually working from home. So I should be able to focus a little more on the microgreens while I'm at the house. I'll tell you what I have really made a point to, you know, work on my social media presence, work on my website and stuff. And I've got been getting an insane amount of traffic, but I've really started honing in and focusing on produce. And right. I found there is more of a market for produce than there are chicken because you know, people don't, it seems to me, that, you know, the price point on produce is similar to what they're used to paying. Correct. Then, you know, t- two times for chicken. Right, right. Yeah, so I think that's, again, I think it boils down to consistency, especially with social media. And, you know, you've got search engine optimization. You're having to, you're uploading and being active on a consistent basis. And it helps algorithms, you know boost your post and, and get your name out there. And I think that helps considerably. So everyone has always said that wholesalers is the way to go with microgreens because that's where you make all your money. Yeah. What have you found with that market? I've had several offers um, uh, to switch to basically just I'll grow it for somebody. And um, I think you and I kind of had a joint venture there that, that went south, but um Oh yeah, Polyface. Oh, <laughs> uh, we talked about Polyface oh, okay. on the podcast. Um and I mean not that it went south in a bad way, just you know, things didn't work out for us in that process, but um one of the approaches that it it would have to be beneficial for me to sell it at the right price if I'm gonna take away all my labeling. Um so basically I've I've worked for two years to build a name and build a brand. And somebody's asking me to give that up and sell my greens cheaper than I was selling them for myself. Um, and with produce, it's that, that profit margin's not really, you know, nobody's getting rich off of, off of, uh, produce, generally speaking. Um, I think you can make a good honest wage and, and charge people a reasonable fee and provide a good, healthy, alternative to what's offered at the grocery store. Yeah. And, the, and I've heard so many people lately complain when I've been, really marketing the CSA that they're really disappointing in the quality of produce that is in the big box stores. And it seems like to have really tanked lately. There is, uh, you know, obviously during the winter time that you're pretty much only option to buy produce around here, unless you know somebody with a greenhouse. Um, I've noticed within two or three days of bringing something home, if not the same day, uh, the produce is just, it's botched. So uh, it's been on a shelf 10 days yeah. plus. And then it's been on a truck for yeah you know, three weeks before that. So, And that's one thing that we have gotten used to is the availability of year-round produce. Correct. Um, you know, where historically you would preserve, can, uh, ferment your different produces throughout the year, you know, like your cabbages, your, right. your green beans and stuff, and then that would be your produce through the winter. And there are some health benefits to that, of course, eating more fermented produce and everything i think that's making a comeback i I think there's a almost like a renaissance time period going on right now with with people getting back to basics 
you know, obviously COVID helped with that a lot. People were stuck at home a lot without anything to do and started picking up habits and, and hobbies that they maybe not wouldn't have picked up if they were working full time or working in an actual office, maybe something they didn't have time to. So, so what is your background? Before uh, you got back, into microgreens. My background is in IT, actually. So I had no farming background aside from having a garden at home. I have a couple of raised beds and and do some seasonal vegetables. Yeah, have chickens and goats. But as far as my background, schooling-wise, it's IT. I've been an IT manager for the last 15 years. But I'm just, you know, the daily grind of a, of a nine-to-five has never been something that fit me personality-wise. I've tolerated it because I have bills to pay and kids to take care of kind of thing. But So have have you gotten – so what's the wholesale market like? And don't give away all your secrets, but just as a – Well, I mean, honestly, I really haven't opted to do it um, aside from working with you guys a little bit. Well, I'm going to start hitting the egg market here soon. Maybe might be able to figure something out. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I'm sure if I – I'm sure if I hustled and, and bustled and got out there – so that's one thing I want to talk about a little bit is marketing. As I've learned a lot in the last couple of weeks, seems like every little thing is a lot of lessons learned. So I was looking at the numbers last night okay. for my sales. Last year, through the website, we did fifteen thousand dollars in sales, which is horrible. Did a but little, for, huh? How many years though? Your first, first year? year. Okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, it's reasonable. I have. We got a little bit, you know, I I did a little more through wholesaling and stuff. And we, we've, I've been doing a couple hundred dollars a month in wholesales. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Your profit margin in wholesale, I might make 10%, right. maybe 5% off my chicken wholesale. It's nothing. I mean, it, I'm pretty much probably burning it in gas going to drop it off. Probably. But, you know, uh, it, it's also about there's some opportunities I can start adding Right products, right? And it's about building that relationship. I, th- I think if you have the if you have the property and you have the room to grow it that that large to where you can afford. I mean, if you're if you're scaling it that high that you can wholesale it and still make a profit, it's going to take you a while to pay back. You know, to to break even. So I was looking at eggs. I yeah. was looking at doing wholesale eggs, and we might. Might get seven percent, but see, this is you know over a year, right? But you're talking now. This was me running the numbers at twenty dozen eggs. Excuse me, twenty thousand dozen eggs a year, and you know seven percent. You know that's a yeah, that's a little bit of money, right? But you know, feed goes up three or four cents a pound. You know, you're you're losing half of that. So you know that's that's the the gauge there. And that's one thing that I realized with like chicken. Yes, people like higher quality chicken, but at the end of the day, the restaurants don't want to pay for it because they don't feel like their customers are going to willing to pay for a better quality chicken. Right. Because the restaurants, you know, in the restaurant industry, they're, they're looking at a price per plate, you know, for each meal. And they have a, they have a roughly, I know working in senior living, I worked with our dining management a lot. And, uh, and then the senior living, the price per plate was about $7 per person for like dinner meals. I think it was like two or $3 for breakfast. And obviously that's a preset, you know, these are people that are paying per month to be there yeah. and it's included in their, included in their rent, but they still, they still run it like a restaurant. 
And so any any insight I had on the restaurant industry comes from that because I worked with that dining manager quite a bit before I started this about cost and pricing. Well, so one thing I didn't realize about restaurants is so the cost of the plate, what's on the plate, right, should be about 25 to 30% of what they're actually charging. Right. So that 70% is covering their overhead. Correct. So like this one restaurant owner I was talking to, he you know, he liked my chicken, you know, I was coming in about a dollar a pound more on the whole than what he was getting currently from, you know, a, a company out of state. Right. And he was like, you know, he he ran the numbers. He was honest with me. He was like, man, that's my profit for the year. He said, if if, if I start using your chicken, I'm not going to make no profit. And he said, it's actually kind of nice to make profit in the industry. Now, we're talking like just a couple of grand. Right. You know, we're, you know, we're not talking no astronomical $100,000. I think it was like $8,000 or something. Right. And he was like, I mean, I understood. I was kind of glad he was open in front of me. But see, a lot of people don't realize that restaurants run a very tight, tight, tight margin. They have to. They have to. And I, I'm really happy and, and glad that some restaurants support local. But at the same time, that's the reason they charge a lot is because right. they that's their price point they have to charge in order to buy those products. Yeah, a couple of the restaurants I've sold to, I can't even afford to eat there kind of thing. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so case in point, you know, the, the landing has been using my airline breast. Okay. And I have I have no idea what the price per plate, but I think it's pushing $40 for that price per plate. Right. That's the reason they did it, you know? Right. And then they approached me about selling more products to them. And I couldn't, I looked at and looked at it and I couldn't make the numbers, make the numbers work. And it wasn't much. It was like 75 cents a pound difference. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of farmers out there that will, they'll sacrifice, you know, to say that their products at a certain restaurant to use that as a marketing, they're basically giving some of the product away just to say that they're, you know, they're selling to a certain restaurant to get that notoriety. Um, And, you know, Good thing with the landing is he advertises who he's doing business with. He does actually. I I don't believe I've got any business from that per se. But I was commenting on a, a next door post about local restaurants and right. stuff, and I said, you know, go to the landing, put a plug in, you know, for the landing and myself. And one lady actually came back and said, yeah, yeah, we actually really enjoy your chicken. I was like, yay! Someone actually told me that they actually like my chicken. Yeah, it is. So it's that name recognition. It goes back to kind of the marketing thing. Um, my wife's a realtor. And, uh, you know, so I hear a lot of marketing stuff from that side of the world. People have to hear your name three times before it sticks. See it, hear it, you know, they, they have to associate it with something. That's just typical people. There's this few people that have photographic memories and, you know, remember everything. But um, it goes back to being consistent, you know, being out there on social media, using every platform. Social media is free. For the most part, you can definitely pay for. I don't know. I, 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 the only way I've been getting traction on Facebook lately is because I've been paying for it. I, I get no traction on Facebook unless you pay for it. So I, I think the more consistent you are in the, the, the paying helps your reach. So it's actually, you know, they're using AI and their algorithm to target market your stuff. Now, now it's worth paying for. You know, advertising is an investment, right? It is a proper use tool. Now, I've tried Facebook ads on for my chicken and stuff. Didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But I've noticed in the last two weeks, I ran a Facebook ad for the produce. 
it's brought a lot of people in. Gotcha. So it's been worth it. So, you know, I work with a couple people at the farmer's market and there's a couple ladies that they're, they set up next to me. Uh, they're two individuals. They, you know, live separately and, uh, one of them kind of bakes breads. The other one makes jellies and they grow some produce here and there. Um, they sell out consistently every week. And the difference between them and my, and myself is when somebody walks by that booth, they are engaging everybody that walks by that booth. That's never been my forte. I'm a little quiet, a little more reserved. Um, so that's something that I'm having to break out of my shell. So I, th- you know, one of the reasons I think I haven't excelled as much as some of the other microgreen people that I know and that I've run into is I, I'm working on it, you know, is that engagement and, and just talking to people and kind of drawing them in having, you know, I've got my setup looking great. I get a lot of good feedback on the way everything looks. Of course, I bring my 13 year old with me that, that brings people in cause they love kids, you know, and he likes doing it. He wants to be there. It's something that him and I do together. Yeah. Um, but the engagement with the customers or potential customers and just anybody, even if they don't stop and buy anything, you know, if I see somebody walk by with a veteran's hat on, I thank them for their service. So I'm, I'm trying to break out of that shell and, and get them to come over, even if it's just to say hi and show them something. So. Yeah. That's been a struggle of mine, but I, I like when we set up at Melvin's farm to fork open house twice now, I have, I'll engage people if they come into the booth. Right. But I really don't go out of the way to engage them. Right. Now, if they come up on the farm, I'll talk their ear off. Right. It, 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 you know, and then I kind of get to look every once in a while. Okay. I kind of want to leave, but (laughs) not really. (laughs) I, I, I read people better than I I hope. But I've also noticed those people that I sit and talk to are the people that keep coming back. Right. People want that interaction, man. And that's actually one reason I started doing the podcast. Was so people get to know us, we get to know that, you know, they get to know us, hear what's going on. I'm still kind of tweaking kind of the content that I want to have on here. We're definitely going to keep, you know, having the kids come on and mention some stuff. You know, what we've done these first podcasts is just a lot of lessons learned from last year. Right. Putting a plug in for the CSA, which I need to still do a plug for CSA. I had a gentleman come up to me the other day, or he, he stopped by the farm, came out of his way, stopped by the farm. And was asking for some brochures. Okay. Because he even listened. He's signed up for my newsletter, listening to the podcast. You know, really appreciate it. He wanted to help and sell CSA shares in his neighborhood. Those are the customers. That's what's really happened the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's necessarily the podcast or whatever, but I've had several people come up and like, hey, I want to start selling for you. And that has meant the world to me because it's encouraging to see that people are wanting it or, or, you know, telling their friends about it or getting people into it because kind of makes all the sacrifices worth it. Absolutely. It's really encouraging. And I've also started to notice, you know, I put more time in it, more work. And it's a, it's a lot of work just to sit there. You almost need a full-time job just to sit to in front the of the market. computer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's honestly, that's the best marketing you can ever get and you can't pay for it. Uh, no. that, that word of mouth, that, that communication, that relationship, you can't buy that. And so I think building those relationships and getting, you know, encouraging those people and having the resources to those people to share with their friends and family is, is be- definitely where it's at. I got one lady. She's up to five of her neighbors to sign up for CSA shares. That's awesome. That really blew my mind. I mean, it's been really encouraging and I hope people really enjoy it. I'm, I'm excited. There's six inches of snow. Roughly a couple inches of snow on yeah. the ground right now. Yeah. So it's like, man, I got to hurry and trigger out the 
garden planning. Well, I look forward to coming out and helping you hang some tomatoes then. <laughs> hey, I got a I got a tomato tire now. So it takes like twenty minutes the to do a whole gun. row. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's like when they say it's the work of ten men, it does the work of ten men. Gotcha. It's just like snaps done. Well, I mean, I, you know, I've been I've been gardening for a while, and us us both kind of being in IT, you you did more, you know, the the cabling side of things, but just we have the same tools. So the little snips, just that trick you showed me alone, you know, using the snips to to harvest or prune the tomatoes. Oh yeah. I bought two more pairs of you know wire snips just to use on my tomatoes. Well, I tell you what, actually. Um, Richard Perkins and Sweet, one of his tool lists. I really want to get some of these, but it goes on your thumb. Yeah. It stays on your thumb and you can use your hands, but it's always there on your thumb. Gotcha. So you're not breaching down, picking it up all the time. I just keep it in my little lighter pocket on my jeans. Well, that's me. So, you know how you kind of got like, you, yeah. you kind of got a tie. Right. And or put your scissors away to tie. They're like, you can use the scissors that are still on your thumb, snip, and then tie. You don't have to put anything away. Gotcha. You're not having that repetitive motion. I'm like, why am I now just figuring out about this thing? So yeah, and, and I mean. It's, it's like those, a $5 tool. It's those little things that you find uh, kind of lesson learned. If you, you know, you kind of do a regroup. If you have any project you run, after the project, you go over your failures, whether it's internally in your head or you sit down with a group of people and, hey, where did we, you know, what did we excel at? This year, what did we suck at this year? Uh, and, and what did, what can we do to make it more efficient? It's those little things that save five minutes a plant. But if you add that up, I mean, how long were your rows of tomatoes this year? Uh, 125 feet. So you had 125 feet times how many rows? Five. You know, I know we sat out there for a couple hours one day and I feel like we only maybe did half a row. Oh, yeah. It was not much. You know? And then I got that tape gun and the, you know, the tape gun was only $100. Yeah. I did a row and a half in like an hour. So I think it's that staging. You know, you're figuring out these things. You know, it's your first year in actual farming, short of running, you know, just running, growing stuff for your family, right? Yeah. So setting up like a harvest station and, and having it flow correctly uh, when you're setting up your chicken butchering, I'm sure you've rearranged it a couple times since you originally set it up. Oh, yeah. You know, we got it down. Me and Megan can do 100 birds in four hours now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's those little things that, that you're going to find. And same thing with me with microgreens. I used to literally, uh, pick all the holes off my sunflowers. Um, so this, some of the seeds, when you grow them, they don't pop off. Cilantro is one, sunflower doesn't. Some of the beets and they, and the beets have really hard shells. You know, the, the seed hole is really hard. So you have to figure out a way to get those off because you're selling these microgreens and you don't want somebody biting into that while they're eating. It's just not very appetizing. So now with the, with the sunflowers, I have a bubbler that I made just out of PVC and a blower and I bubble the seed holes off. And I mean, I still have to pick a few off, you know, a few strugglers, but it takes me 10 minutes to do a 10, 20 tray versus an hour. I, the flip side is I'd now have to dry the greens where I didn't have to do that before when I was picking them, but that takes 15 minutes. I lay them out on a screen, throw a fan on them. And, you know, just dry them. That's, I mean, that's something that I was working on the other day was taking where I got the building left. It's 20 by 20. And I can enclose one side, shrink my chicken processing area. So my chicken processor, 
processing area is enclosed right. completely. And then the other half I'm going to leave open. And Rich Birkins had a really cool layout, how he does his greens and everything. So, you know, it's that whole process. You come in, you wash them at a station. Right. You bubble them, you dry them, you put them in the cooler. Then when they come out of the cooler, you can start packing them. Right. And, you know, you have a packing station and everything. It's really simple. That's one thing I don't mind paying for some of this infrastructure that these guys have because they figured it out. Right. Like, I one thing I love about Richard Perkins, he doesn't charge an arm and a leg. Well, and a lot of that infrastructure that these guys have figured out over the years, you know, the green bubbler, a lot of them you're using a, you know, it's literally a big tote or a, you know, a trough yep. with some PVC and a blower motor, like from a hot tub. The the green spinner, they're taking the washing machines and they- yeah, I bought the plans for that. And they actually take a, it's a fishing basket. You buy it online from Uline or No, whatever. it's a, a peck. It, it's, yeah. it's actually a peck harvest basket. It's just a plastic yeah. basket sits down in the washing machine and you got to have a certain wa- And I mean, it just spins it out. So it's saving you from your greens laying out drying necessarily. Or even a little five gallon salad spinner. Right. Right. As opposed to the Holbert, 20 gallon Holbert ones, like four grand. Right. You can do one in a, in a washing machine. And I mean, once you get, you know, a, a used washing machine, 60 bucks. I think, I think what they advertise their washing machine salve, salve spinner, it, it ends up being like three, four $400. Once you buy the parts. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, that's nothing compared to $20,000. Four grand, four or five grand. Right. They're, they actually have been a department of agriculture, department of agriculture approved as being sanitary. Nice. Because it's staying within the basket. There's all these little things that, I need to pull the trigger on and get working because those do take time and now's the time to do it. So, cause you can't do anything with a foot of snow on the ground. <laughs> no, <laughs> Megan was giving me the stink eye there. She's like, you need to get busy and busy. Something actually clicked the part of this week. I actually got excited. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Starting to get some sales in, you know, this actually might work. Yeah. I was getting a little nervous. Well, I know you were a little frustrated last season a little bit with the, the surplus you had. Well, Sorry. I mean, we we throw away eight, nine hundred pounds of cucumbers and squash more times than I can count. But but also, you, I mean, you process that you're giving it to the pigs and things like that. So I mean, you're turning it into bacon, and you know, yeah. Now I now I got a freezer full of chicken and pork. You know, so I don't want to even want to take offense about talking about people, right. but people are interesting. So I mean, I've been advertising chicken left and right all the time, and I have been surprised by how many people have bought chicken shares. Right. We're offering you know vegetable shares, chicken shares, and then egg shares. And I had been now it hasn't been it's been like three or four, but compared to like last year, that's quite a bit who have purchased chicken shares, and I, you know they're coming, they're getting their chicken, their vegetables, and their eggs. Right. And you know that's what they want. So that all goes back to, you know, offering convenience and stuff. This coming week, I'm really going to start hitting the advertisement at the pickup locations, the new pickup locations. So starting getting the word out more because it really frustrates me with social media because I had a customer hit me up and was like, hey, I've been, you know, driving by uh, your farm all summer, which this is another thing. I'm going to work on signage. I'm going to get some big four by eight signs. Yeah. And 
you got quite a bit of road front, so you should be on the that. one side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side, not so much. But I mean, I'm going to get some big four bait signs and, you know, people's not going to have an excuse anymore. Know what my road name is. Right. Or my farm name. But, you know, they, they, over a year, they took to find me on social media and, you know, they're right down the road. And I get it. You know, I've tweaked the website and, you know, trying to get out there, but it's actually really hard to get exposed on social media and on the web for someone that lives right down the road. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, we do live in a, in a very rural area. And so, you know, there's, I know people personally and I'm in IT. So other IT folks that literally when they go home, they're not on a computer. You know, it, it's not a hobby of theirs. It's literally a job. Well, and same thing with customer service. They, they use a computer at work all day. So when they go home, they're not messing with it, but everybody's got their phone. Well, what shocked me is when you came here and said, Oh, I didn't know you're doing a podcast. Yeah. And I had been blasting that on every freaking I social had, media. I had not seen it at all. You follow me. I do. You follow Megan. Yep. Pers- you follow the farm. Yep. And you didn't see it. I did not see it. Um, so I, I've noticed even when my wife posts stuff, she posted a happy birthday thing to me. My birthday was on the sixth, posted a happy birthday thing to me. I didn't see it for two days. So, I mean, you were on Facebook though on your birthday. Right. And I'm on Facebook all the yeah. time because of the Clovered Microgreens page. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly on there trying to post something. I've been a little slack lately because I started a new job, but you know, for the most part, I am on there looking and just browsing. I mean, friends and family. I'm from Florida originally. So, you know, trying to keep up with friends and family from Florida, that's generally the easiest way to do it. it it's amazing to me that the algorithm, how it, it doesn't, you know, it used to be you could sort. Yeah. You could sort by your friends, you could sort by local, and now it's completely based off there what they want you to see. Uh, and I, that's know. why I only get it if I pay for it. Right. Right. And I, I think that's intentional. I think it's by design to at, at some point. So if you want to know what's going on with the farm, sign up for the newsletter. Okay. You're not signed up for the newsletter? I'm pretty sure I'm signed up for the newsletter. Uh, you apparently you just don't read it then. I'm sure I'll read it. Then you would have found out about the podcast. <laughs> All right, busted. 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 <laughs> do you have a newsletter? Uh, I do not have a newsletter. Uh, it's something I've been uh, – I've had several people mention to me. Uh, so the average – the return on investment for a okay. newsletter is 4,000 – or excuse me, 400%. Okay. So for every dollar, you'll get $4 back. The average return – you. I've heard stories where you can get Facebook two to one. So for every dollar you spend, you get two dollars back, which is not bad as far as marketing goes. One thing I have noticed with Facebook, especially paying for advertisements, um, if I pay, if I, you have to launch it like two days prior to whatever event you're advertising. Uh, if I advertise it the night before, um, or even the morning before. So if I advertise on Friday for the for the farmers market on Saturday. My customers don't see it until like Saturday afternoon. Yep. Um, so I have noticed that. And, and also it tells you when you're in the meta dashboard, it tells you, you know, when the best time to schedule the post is when the most people are online and the data doesn't lie. I mean, they've got the algorithm. They've got, oh, they, they, they will push your stuff if you pay for it. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, but it, I, I feel like Facebook is reasonable on the prices. Yes. That is one thing that I've realized that Facebook, Book and Google, they only charge you for what gets sent to your website, right. for instance. They don't right. charge you. Like, I've been very disappointed next door. 
Now, I got a lot of organic traffic off of Nextdoor because Nextdoor is, you know, more regionally focused, but I do not like their ads. Yeah, I I haven't paid for anything through Nextdoor, but I've definitely made some posts and and gotten some, you know, verbal traffic, but not anybody's actually followed through on my end. One thing that I have started to do is put everything through the website. Okay. Now, I'm probably sure everyone hates that, but... I'll write a blog post or whatever. I'll put, I'll, I'll, uh, I won't share my, my podcast posts from like the platform, like iHeart or Spotify. Right. I'll post it to the website and then share that blog post okay. to it. And I got a program, a plugin where I can link on my social media accounts. And as soon as I publish that post, it shares. It all across eight social medias. Right. So I don't have to go in and do each. But it's, it's redirecting them to your website so that the traffic itself is coming from your website. I, that's actually, you know, as far as search engine optimization that, you know, you talk about things like that. That is one of the, the guidelines that they tell you to do. Um, and and basically it's looping. Every every link should loop back to your website. Yes. And that's one thing that, you know, I, I put out Google ads on my website. I didn't do a lot. I've made like a whopping dollar fifty off of it. <laughs> so I'm getting really rich off my Google ads. Off of Google ads. Of course I could put more on there, but I I did it enough just to do a little. I was kind of curious how much you would actually get revenue. But I hate it when I go to a website and I canceling twenty different windows. Right. Yeah. So but I get why people do that is because, you know, that that's how they're getting some money is that traffic. Right. And they're, you know, they're dealing with a lot more traffic also than you and I are dealing with for the most part. So that, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's, it's been a, a big learning curve. One thing I've learned with farming is, yes, yeah, so I need to be an IT guy, a social media expert. Well, let me back up a little bit. This is what I've been doing the last couple of months, <laughs> you know, building the website, yep. which thankfully I've had some good help with that Two, learning how to, Learning about podcasts, editing audio, posting audio, all that back end stuff, really getting into the social media. There's a reason people hire social media there marketers. There is. Because it almost is a full time job. Yeah. And, you know, really getting into writing more content and stuff. So, and I've been using some tools to do that just so, because what it goes back to it, yes, you're providing information for people. Right. But the majority of reason to have content on your website is so that, it hits that search engine optimization. Correct. Because, you know, you 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 show up in the Google results. Yeah. So so I've been uh I shared with you earlier, I've been helping my church with their audio and uh we post we don't do live streaming. We I've started doing live streaming, but uh we share our recorded audio as like a podcast format. And so one of the things I've started doing is, you know, I utilize a little bit of AI. So I started using chat GPT just a little bit. Um, so basically I write the content. I put it in chat GPT and tell it basically write clean the prompts, you know, Hey, clean this up, make the sound more professional yeah. or, you know, use these guidelines to, you know, uh, I kind of use the comment with my wife a lot. I'm like, yeah, you can tell it to, you know, write this, this for sale ad for your home, you write the content and then tell it, tell it you want it to do it in the style of Martin Scorsese. I mean, just something funny like that. So it's a tool that's out there. Uh, you do have to be careful from a legal standpoint because it is, uh, once it's generated through there, it's, it's now kind of property of chat GPT. And it depends on the AI. 
So you just want to be careful with what you're doing and make sure you check all your legal guidelines. One thing that is, I heard a call, what a few people, because I've, I'll admit it. I started using AI because it helps writing. It helps with wording. It does. Because as you said earlier, you know, you're not going to, I don't write with fluff. Uh, I will mention, (laughs) I sent it to my mom and she (laughs) writes with the fluff, but. Dad was making this point because I was kind of like, huh, I'm using AI. A lot of my friends are like, oh, you shouldn't use AI. That's retarded. Dad made a point. He's like, so using AI to not using AI today is like going to the library and looking at the Rotodex of local whatever right. instead of just Googling it. Or pulling up a microfish of the newspaper instead yeah. of just pulling up the newspaper's website. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a tool. It's, it's just the another next tool. Step. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know this goes back to it's about marketing and getting your content in front of people, right? Because at the end of the day, if your content is in front of people, they're not going to come, they're not going to buy stuff. Because this is what you know the podcast, all this is just kind of a it, it's all a tool, right? To inform people and all it's it, it's a big puzzle. It is, it is, and and not you know we both come from tradesmen type type backgrounds and we carry tool bags and you know you carry certain tools for what you do uh if you go to do a fiber job you're not taking a you know a coax you know punch down tool you're yeah. taking something to to pair fiber and things like that so it's just tools in the toolbox in the marketing toolbox and so you use what's available to you marketing has changed a lot i think it's changing as, constantly yeah it is that's one thing that I've – well, the social media algorithms change yeah. all the freaking time. And it's it's more now towards ads. You know, they want to be able to push the ads, and they've been collecting all this data for years. Oh, they know you better than yeah. you yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I know we're – I hope we're not going to get – turn people off by this, but this is one thing that I've really discovered is so I can take – well, legal, legally – Right. Actually, there's like, you actually legally can do this. Watch everyone unsubscribe from my newsletter. <laughs> I can't do this because my newsletter audience isn't big enough. Right. But you, you are able to take your newsletter audience and put it over into Facebook. Facebook will scan or connect the dots between all of your different email addresses and persons and everything. Right. And they will look at their profiles and then they will target audience, the people that buy from you currently, to potential customers. And this has been going on for years. I remember my, my brother was talking about this. He learned about it in marketing class, right. you know, in college 10 years ago. Well, let's just be honest. If they have a Facebook page, this is already being done to them on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, just mention talking about something while you have a, a smartphone present. Um, yeah, you yeah. start getting targeted advertisements, like, within hours. Well, my wife hates, hates it because – you know, my computer, I got Chrome and I got Instagram, Facebook type, you know, logged in on Chrome and I'll search stuff on the farm. And since I'm using, you know, her Facebook page, she gets all these targeted ads and she hates it. Yeah. Cause she said, all of a sudden I'm getting greenhouse ads on my Instagram, <laughs> my personal Instagram. And I'm like, sorry, honey. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we kind of joke with each other all the time, me and my wife about, you know, different things. And so, yeah, we saw a TikTok advertisement or a TikTok video one time, and it was the the wife wanted a ring, and so she kept grabbing the husband's phone while he was away from the phone and like saying diamond rings, two carat diamond rings, 
you know, flawless diamonds. And she was just whispering those things into the phone and he kept getting the targeted advertisements. So one thing that on the flip side, as you know, businessmen, it is nice though to have targeted advertisements because you're spending dollar, you know, your dollar. Right. And that's one thing that I've learned is there needs to be more targeted. You have to use targeted advertising because Google only works if people are searching for your product. Correct. Correct. They might not even know your product exists. Like I have been really surprised how many people are like, Oh, I never heard about a, a CSA, a community support agriculture before. And oh, this is a really cool concept. Right. And it's been around <clears throat> for years. Uh, the seventies. Yeah. In Japan. So again, they don't even know to search for it. Right. So you have to be active and get in front of them. You know, as a consumer, you don't want your information out there usually, you know, uh, but definitely as a business owner, you, you want to, you want the ability to be able to, to tar- I mean, you don't want to waste your money. So radio ads, for instance, you're, you're sending that ad to everybody that's listening to the radio. That's not targeted marketing. It's targeted a little bit because somebody may listen to one genre of, of music versus another. Um, so you can definitely see what's advertised on a country music station versus what's advertised on a pop music station. It's different advertisements. So there is some, some version of targeting, but it's, you know, with social media, it's definitely the best, you know, again, going back, the best way to do it is a newsletter. And that's the best way to stay in contact right. with someone or their product is a newsletter. You'll get that into there. And are you sending physical or is it just strictly email? Email. Email. Oh, man, that's. I, I get a decent open rate. It's like fifty percent. Yeah. Of course, you, you know your open rate will fluctuate based on your you know your number. The more people you get, the less. Right. Um. One thing that I did that I came across was, you know, I put a pop up on my website. Okay. I hate pop ups as a consumer, but majority of my newsletter subscribers have come from that pop up. But having one pop-up that's targeted to your website, so it's your pop-up on your website yeah. about your farm and your newsletter. It's not 50 pop-ups going to different locations and advertisements. So I think people look at it a little different. And I try not to. I try not to spam everyone with the newsletter. It, you know, it, it's definitely the most effective way to get your news in front of someone. And of course, you know, now I'm getting really technical. You do a double opt-in. So don't, it doesn't go to their spam folder. <laughs> my, my open rate increased when I start. I, I realized I should have been doing a double opt-in. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something I, you know, I haven't dove into the, the newsletter format at all. I, I've sent some texts, you know, targeted texts through to regular customers through Square. I uh, use that for my payment processing. So people that have bought from me more than two times, I was able to send them a, you know, notice, hey, you know, if you need anything, let me know. We're here even when the farmer's market's closed. Just, you know, just keep that in mind. I believe it was you who was telling me about farm stores and all these local farm stores, whether it's here or, more, you know, when you travel, that it, they always seem to be the same products. It is. It is. It's. Uh, I think they're called plain stores is what, what I've heard them called. Um, and, and they're just buying these bulk candies and bulk foods. And, I, you know. I mean, if it moves, it moves. Right. And clearly it does because every one of them carries it. So we have a few locally here that, and, you know, we've got one with it or two within probably two miles of each other. They, the same thing they carry, it's the same, 
same basic stuff. And Dutch Valley. They were to bulk from Dutch Valley. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully it's local. I don't know. I, it may be all Chinese candies and stuff like that. I'm not sure, but they just rebag it in their little cellophane bags with their name on it. So what, so speaking of farm stores, what would you, no, no, say, well, don't tell again, don't tell me all your trade secrets, but what, as a consumer, what would you like to see in a farm store? In my opinion, it should be local, regional products. Well, lo- uh, all right. One local thing, I- regional is a broad area. <laughs> well, so what I mean is local. Local is we 100 live miles. In, we live in southwest Virginia-ish, okay? I don't want to see stuff from Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't want to see stuff from Charleston, South Carolina. I want to see produce and and meat. We have tons of providers here, tons. There's pork, there's beef, there's all these farms that provide the stuff that these that these farms markets, these local farm stores could source from. Somehow, they've got to come up with that agreement with that farmer to avoid that stuff from traveling so far. Well, what about playing devil's advocate here? What about the products that can't, or excuse me, are not produced locally? Like you mentioned, the candies. There's really not local produced stuff like that. I mean, if I'm eating candy, I'm really not worried about how far it traveled, let's be honest. If I'm ordering, you know, if I want some salt pork, certainly somebody in the state of Virginia which is known for Smithfield and pork in general. Certainly, we have somebody in the state of Virginia, in this region, that that has salted pork. You know, well, that goes back, in my opinion, and I'm just using that as an example. Well, I'm not saying there's not one, but well, this is the issue with products like that. There is not the need. Customers are not purchasing those types of products from local stores. Therefore, it is not driving the need like the local usda processor here in the county he only does fresh he doesn't do bacon he doesn't do smoked meats he doesn't do anything cured i haven't really talked to him as the why but i know part of that is he doesn't have the infrastructure i know virginia has some strict laws on cured meats also well it's not that hard it also goes down to, well, it also added manpower, added demand, all the other stuff. Well, and you're having to sit on product for six to eight months to a year before you can sell it. That, so you've got to have the storage space and, the, again, infrastructure. Okay, well, again, this goes yeah, this goes back to the point of there has to be the infrastructure but also the need. Right. So if people aren't buying even what's available locally, there's not a need for a business to expand on those types right, of products. Right, because they can go buy some Oscar Mayer hard salami, and that satisfies their their yeah. their need for that, which boils back down to education and what's actually in that and the chemical you know, crap storm you get into when you're buying commercial meats. I, I think it goes back to, to education, but the demand definitely has to be there. You know, and there are certain cities in certain regions and areas that, that cured meats are are popular. So after the last podcast, I went out and started talking about some additional pickup places. I went to a chiropractic store in Daleville and then uh, Basil's Farm and Gifts on 220 right yep. there at the county line. Yep. And what was interesting that both ladies mentioned to me that there needs to be more education. But that also goes back to people have to be looking for it. Right. And have to be willing to consume it. Now, you can start doing short video formats to try to get in their TikTok feed, especially the younger generation. 
But that also takes a lot of work. Yeah, it does. It takes a lot of work up front. But we we definitely do need to do more education, which is why I started doing the podcast. And I started playing around today about doing short clips, not necessarily videos, but, you know, throwing a picture on it and a sound wave. Right. It looks cool. I have caught some of your videos lately. So that's that's weird that I caught the videos but didn't know you were doing the podcast. Yeah, I tried a couple of reels. I need I need to do more reels consistently. It's so we kept talk we we talked about this last year, but yeah. it's just one of those things like you're farming and you're tired and you don't want to do it and full with it. But I'm trying now to get a lot of the stuff set up and I know how to do it. Right. Like I made a, a video clip from the podcast today. And it took me like, oh, it took me like an hour the first time. And then I got, I figured out how to do it. I linked the social media accounts to the podcast publisher, or excuse me, the video publisher. Right. And one click, uploaded, done, done. So, you know, now I can do stuff I'm familiar with and comfortable with it. I can do it quicker. And I think the more you do it, the more, the, the easier it gets. It's a skill. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I started trying to do a YouTube channel for a little bit and, uh, it, you know, I got like three followers and I think most of them were my other accounts that I was playing with. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it takes, you know, that video, you know, to, to edit an hour long video to make, to clean it up and, and cut out all the dead time and the uhs and the, uh, uh, uh you know, the, the things you mess up on and, you know, different things you, uh, oh, I had a, tarp in the background i didn't want to show that you know or you know sitting there with the wife and she's like you're showing that from our house and and this is in the background you know i don't want that out there on the internet that you know that kind of stuff and that's just real life it takes time to clean up the video and and figure out how you want it and so i think sometimes good enough is good enough to especially if you're doing the shorts you could record an hour-long video and cut that up into you know 20 20 different three, shorts, yeah. five minute videos or three minute videos. I mean, what's the TikTok? Three and a half minutes generally. So one thing that I've been, you know, watching Nick Freitas do his little shorts all the time and, you know, one, two, three million views sometimes. Yeah. And it won't take him long to do it, but it's consistency. Right. Well, but that's probably what he's, he's probably also got somebody. Oh, I know he does. Cutting and editing the I mean, videos. His studio, also. his studio is awesome. I'm jealous. I don't know. We might be able to turn this into a nice studio if I start getting, pay- you know, we got like, I got like 50 uh, listens on the podcast. Okay. So it's not bad. And they're listening consistently. Mm, I haven't delved that much. In Come the on. Y'all need to listen consistently. So they, Yeah. They're probably like, I, I want Megan back. Well, I'm, I'm adding it right now. So I'm, I'm going to right now. So you'll have 51. <laughs> hey, we're on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google. Google's going to. YouTube. Did you get your stuff on uh, Amazon's? Theirs was a little difficult to get added to. I think I tried. I haven't followed up with it. Yeah, they, they've got some special requirements. So on the YouTube, are you having to create a video? So YouTube is going to where you can automatically link it. Just audio? Yeah. Well, they put a picture up. Okay. And they don't like my website I've been using for my to what job let my podcast do. Okay. What I've been, what I'm going to do now is just make a video of myself. It won't take that long. Just render it myself and upload it. It'll be, it'll take a little more time than just linking it to YouTube, but YouTube is being a pain. 
So what I noticed just from working with the churches is I had to basically record the video with a picture of whatever the screenshot was. You so can, I basically had to make a video and then keep extending that. So you can upload it to an RSS feed mm-hmm. and then link your RSS feed to YouTube. To YouTube. And then YouTube should automatically put a cover photo gotcha. on it. I haven't got it to work yet, but... That must be new because last time I looked, that wasn't an option. So, yeah, we get more. Or maybe I just don't know where it's at. Well, I need to do so I can (laughs) let you know. All right. So, farming. Wow. We really talked a lot about farming. Actually, this is all part of farming. Right. That's what has really been frustrating because you're having to wear so many hats. Yeah. And you just wanted to grow some food, some fresh. I'm going to say this again. I really just want to farm. I don't have to worry about anything else. Right. Now I'm marketing stuff, but I just I just want to farm. Well, you know what? As the kids grow up, you just kind of let them take that path and let them take over the social media. They'll they'll kill it. Oh, Thea last night was uh, reading, looking at one of my gardening books. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey, read the chapter on marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I think she got through the first page and she was taking notes and she was like, I'm done. I'm like, okay. I guess it's a little deep for an eight-year-old. Yeah, they they can absorb more than you think they can. It's it's pretty amazing. Oh, I know they 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 love certain aspects of right. stuff on the farm. Thea has been a really big help lately. She has really gone out of her way to help clean up and just to do things. Silas is the bookworm. Yeah, your kids stay way more involved than mine do, and mine are way older. So. I hopefully it continues because I've heard quite a few farmer friends complain about how their teenagers no longer do things. I think the homeschool aspect helps a lot for that. Um, it, it cuts the exposure to some of the distractions, in my opinion. Possibly. Um, I noticed uh, my kids did Boy Scouts before it flaked out and uh, <laughs> woke a find. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I noticed as soon as the first, as soon as the oldest kid got a girlfriend, got his first girlfriend, scouts took a backseat. I mean, my man was almost an Eagle Scout. And I pictured you guys never going into Walmart. I just assumed you guys didn't go to Walmart. I actually went to Walmart on Sunday. We've been buying, we've been buying less and less. Yeah. So. I think that's the goal. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get discouraged because they have to go shopping or buy stuff. And as a farmer, you don't want to be dependent on anybody, but you can't do it all. (laughs) So I I stopped by Kroger and I ran into a a friend and he was like, you're not supposed to shop here. You're a farm. (laughs) I'm like, well, I don't grow my own wine. I don't make my own wine and I can't make my own sushi. Well, I can't make my own sushi, but I don't. I don't want to. Right. <laughs> You're not catching tuna on your farm. Yeah. So I just have butter, but we're, we're working on getting a cow. But you know, it's like I, it's less and less. Part well, of I mean, it. I mean, the last cow event was a little traumatic, so you know, you had to regroup after that. We, we are working on getting another cow in the spring. Well, cool. I got some friends who really want some raw milk, and they're like, I really don't want to go all the way and pick it up. I was like, well, you know, we'll get together and get a cow and we'll milk it for you. They're like, okay. They're, I, I do like raw milk. I can't stand raw milk or I can't stand pasteurized milk. Uh, you know, I was buying from Gail 
over there at Urabi and Sweetland. Yeah, from Sweetland. And uh I just you know, when I lost my job, I wasn't able to continue that that subscription. And so we have been buying store bought milk and it, it's just it's not the same. I don't enjoy it. The flavor's different, you know. I was making cheese from our you know, from extra extra milk we had and things like that. And you can't do that with a homogenized I mean, you can. There's some cheese that you can make, but it's just not. Oh, mozzarella made from fresh cow's milk is amazing. Yeah, I've got a, I've actually got a block of manchango that I made. Uh, obviously, manchango is supposed to be sheep's milk, but uh, no I use, idea. Uh, it's just a hard, hard cheese. So it's, I've got that one in the fridge now, and it's, it's about eleven months old. So it's a good, hard, crystallized, like almost like a parmesan. I do love some good cheese. But, uh, yeah, just being able to do that. But, again, it takes, you know, having the real estate to do it. You know, you've got to have a place to put it and cure it and keep keep it clean kind of thing. I was uh, talking to New Dawn Acres last week, and she does her milkshares a little different. Yeah. And she has a little more flexibility built in. And I offered to be a raw milkshare pickup for her. So we'll, we'll be carrying her. We'll we'll be a drop once I get the store built for her raw milk shares. Gotcha. And maybe a sweet land offer is really nice. So yeah, let them but let them put some stuff there. But uh I was surprised. She said some of she has bigger drops than Sweetland does. Wow. Sometimes at some of their well, they share mutual drops. I think there's enough of the business to go around. I, I think that's another thing that, that the farmers need to get on board with, you know. Oh, well, they they there's some farmers that'll talk out of one side of their mouth saying, "Hey, I like competition," and the other side of the mouth they don't. But I mean, you may grow a better tomato than I can grow a cucumber, you know. Or you know, or be cheaper than Beckner's. I didn't know we were dropping names. Uh, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I'm going to probably I'm going to get really people mad, but they they're definitely not going to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It, I We went there one time when we first moved here. We were super excited to find them. We were like, oh, man, this is awesome. Beckner's, right? And I think we, yeah, yeah. And I think we dropped like $42 at the farm stand. Did and we had like two tomatoes. And we had like cucumber? two tomatoes and a bag of peppers or something. So, but, yeah, we haven't been back. To- <laughs> Dude, like. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to it that they raise their conventional. They, they spray oh, their 100% produce. 100% they spray theirs. And we're cheaper. We I are can, cheaper. So I I'm would, just stating facts. I would almost venture to say that if you go to the uh, Tuesday market over there on 220, the auction, I would bet to say that half their produce is coming from there. And that's one of the things I get frustrated with about the farmer's market so, so explain uh, to people what the produce auction is. Okay. So the produce auction is basically a wholesale, you know, the, there's farms within, I think it's 200 miles. Uh, 120. 120 miles. It's whatever the definition of local, local is. is. So they basically come and sell to the highest bidder. Uh, so anytime you go to a farmer's market and you see boxes, like waxed boxes of produce sitting underneath their table, um, there is a very unlikely chance that that farmer has purchased those wax boxes to package their produce in. Uh, most actual farmers are using some kind of plastic crates or just whatever boxes they can find. Uh, so one of my frustrations with our farmer's market that I sell at in, in Botetot is we have an individual that 
that claims to grow most of their own produce. And one of the requirements to set up at the bottom top farmer's market is that the produce comes with within a hundred miles of Bottle Top, that, yeah. which is which is Daleville area. A hundred miles is a long radius. It is. It is. So in in our area, within a hundred miles, uh, some of the parts of North Carolina, uh, a lot of West Virginia, different things like that are covered within that hundred mile radius. And there's a lot of produce farms in North Carolina. There's a ton of produce. However, they are conventional produce farms, and they are definitely spraying their produce. And this is the pretty produce that you see at the grocery store. Or the farmer's markets. Or the farmer's markets. Um, but these, it, it, it's called a farmer's market. So to me, it should be you're selling what you have grown or produced, not what you've gone to an auction or to resell. I, I will say this. I am working on trying to partner with other farmers so they can sell my stuff at another farmer's market. Right. So I don't have to be there. And I've sold stuff for you at other farmer's markets because I go to a farmer's market that is out of the area only because I've had pretty good success at that farmer's market. But you're, you're selling, you're selling my brand. Correct. And you're telling people where it was raised. Correct. Correct. And as soon as I mentioned no spray, that sells it. Um, And that sells it over top of the other guys. Um, now there's one guy there that sets up, I don't remember his name. They do grow their own stuff. Um, and he does order wax boxes. So the wax box comment isn't a hundred percent of the time. No, cause wax boxes do help. Right. So there are some farmers that do buy wax boxes. I'm not saying that anybody at a farmer's market that has the wax boxes. Well, you're not, you're, you're not the first person to say that cause there are people online and stuff that have forums that say don't buy any from anyone that has a wax box. Right. And that's why I'm kind of giving that disclaimer. It's not, I buy plastic clamshells. I pay, I pay heavily for those plastic clamshells. Vented or unvented? <laughs> I do vented. Oh uh, man. Cause I got like three cases of unvented. I'll use unvented too. Um, cause some of the unvented ones I've bought have little pinhole vents. So they're not actual slices in things like a strawberry container. Farmers markets. So yeah. You know, I Produce sell at a farmer's yeah. market with these plastic clamshells that you would see at a commercial grocery store. I'm growing that at my house, in my basement, literally on a metal shelf in my basement. One thing that people are irritated about the farmer's market, or excuse me, the produce auction, is that last year they changed the rules. Right. So if you don't purchase two thousand dollars worth of product it's from fifteen hundred or something is it has a lady it gone up again a, a customer called me the other day complaining about it and the number she used was two thousand wow and they charge an extra twenty percent for you to buy anything less than two thousand you have to spend two thousand dollars a year with them oh a year. or okay they charge this is what this lady said or they charge an extra twenty percent. She is not the only person that has complained to me about it because what local people are doing was going to the farmer's, excuse me, the produce auction, right? Purchasing bulk, right? And then get, canning it. You can get twenty five pounds of tomatoes for ten dollars. Yeah. So I I was under the understanding that it was a thousand dollar per transaction. Like if you they, weren't buying thousand dollars that day, they might have they would sell it to you. Yeah, they used not to do that. They used to be let locals purchase, right? And they used to advertise it. There were signs on the street. That you could go there on Tuesday for the auction. I think what happened, this is pure speculation, is that some of the local uh, stores got irritated 
right. that people were basically undercutting them by right. going to the auction. It's uh, I'm shrugging as if you guys can see that, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of politics in in farming. Yes, there is, especially yeah. farmers markets, because people ask me all the time, "Why don't you go to like Rocky Mount Farmers Market?" So I looked at getting the Rocky Mount Farmers Market. Well, Rocky Mount, since it's a government-owned right. farmer's market, they will allow any vegetable, or excuse me, they will allow however many vegetable vendors there are right. as slots. But for meat, they only allow what I was told was two. So two pork, two, two beef, chicken, yeah. two beef. Yeah. And I was basically told that I was not able to sell my meat there. Because and, I only get some of my vegetables. Yeah, and ours is the same way. So it, it's not a state run. It's a they're actually their own entity, uh, but they do receive funding from the county. Uh, it's very minimal, and there's a stink about there's several people in the county that pitch a fit about the county giving any money to us. You know, we try to give back the community, and I think a lot of the farmers markets do. Well, it's not that. It's just that but they're there not are some they're, requirements because it's a government. Well, it's th- yeah. they're they're not allowing competition, right? Right. It, it, I mean, but that's that's no different than setting up in a mini mall. You know, you've got a a, a strip mall. They're not going to allow, well, know, but but three but grocery stores. But they're allowing ten vegetable vendors or three vape vendors. Right. True. <laughs> so, I mean, what's the difference between ten vegetable vendors or two meat vendors? I guess they figure. Um, there's less of a market. For There's the less meat. of a market for the meat and the, the vegetable vendors, you know, same thing we were talking about earlier. You may have really good. The same thing that can be said person. about meat though. I agree. I agree. Uh, cause you could have a guy that's doing grass fed and you could have a guy that's doing grain finished grain finna or um, pastured pork or non GM. I mean, there, there's right. a lot more subtleties right. than it, it just frustrates me. It is, and I think in a smaller market, I can kind of understand it, but Rocky Mount is kind of a... It's a decent size. It's a decent size, and it, it has a really good... There are enough people go into that market on a Saturday, even on the Tuesday nights. You know, there were enough people at that market to I mean, to subsidize there being multiple meat vendors. You, you, you set up for us one night at Rocky Mount, right. like Tuesday night. How many people came through, you think? <clears throat> I think I did it twice. Um well, I would I would say it wasn't a bunch. It wasn't a bunch, but it was. I think I did it like the first night they had it, yeah. the evening and then market, like the third or something, third and then week. maybe I did it one other time. Um, so I mean, it wasn't a ton, but there weren't a ton of vendors there either, and that's surprising to me because that's the time of day when everybody's getting off work. Uh, there's one over at Smith Mountain Lake um, that's in the evening time, and that one is packed out. So from like waiting three, on the lady to call me back about that one. I think it runs from three to seven on Wednesday nights. Yeah, they said they're doing three to six. I, I think I can get in. She said they don't limit the number of vendors. Yeah, and that's just a pop up. I mean, they just set up on the side of the road right there. She said they had three to four hundred people in it. And it's I, I I sat there and watched one day, and I talked to the lady that runs it. I sat there and watched, and those people before they could even get set up, there were people lined up waiting to get in. I'm I'm. I called her a couple weeks ago. I really hope I can get into that one because yeah. I, I don't. I like the off days. Yeah. Because Saturday, like the two times that you set up at Rocky Mount, we made more money at the farm at the stand. Farm. You did. You did. Than, I remember. Than at the farmers market. So, but everyone's like, "Well, it, it's more centrally located in the county." Okay. 
it takes me, you know, six hours to go to the farmer's market. Right. Uh, you know, we I made 40 bucks at one time where yep. the farm, you know, made 40 bucks. Yeah, I think it was 30, 30 something one day, yeah. 45 the, the other. I'm like, so, you know, if, if I make 40 bucks to the stand, awesome. Right. But then I'm doing other things. Right. I'm not waiting, you know, around for. Right. You're able to continue to work on the farm. Yeah. So. And I mean, that's, that, that goes back to the what works and what doesn't work and finding those things, you know, at the end of the season or at the end of the year. And you kind of do a review and look, this wasn't worth, you know, the time and effort. I don't know that I'm setting up at the farmer's market this year because it's a 45 minute drive for me from where I'm at. It's literally. Four hours out of my day. I mean, we we could could talk about a business deal. So I got I got vegetable drops at the Fairway right. Pharmacy now in Roanoke. Then I'm working on another one in Daleville. It's a different model, yeah. Because my understanding, excuse me, my assumption is that people who go to farmers markets already have existing vendors, right? So I want to try to get the people that don't go to farmers markets, and those people go there. I. I'm gonna I don't I'm gonna tread lightly here. I think a lot of people that attend the farmers markets It's are, a different demographic too. I think they're attending for almost like a social like a social justice warrior type mindset. I, I'm doing They're doing my, their part. I'm doing my part yeah. socially to yeah. support my local farmer. So I need to be seen going to the farmers market. And I've noticed that. I've noticed the type of the people, and I love my customers. I'm not downing any of my customers. That's not what I'm saying. It is It is a different demographic. You're talking about the demographic that goes. Right. Right. And and that's not all farmer's market. That's that particular farmer's market. I know for a fact it's uh, the Roanoke farmer's markets. It's it's a target market. and And yes, you should target that market. But you need to determine whether it's worth it for you as a farmer to to set up to and a lot time of people, out of your day. A lot of people don't want to go to farmers markets because it's Saturday morning. Yep. Rain, sleet, snow. Well, it's hot. I mean, I mean you, hot, let's yeah. be honest. During the during the farmers market season, it's, we're in Virginia. It's I would I would have plugged for this though. So, still working on some details, <laughs> as I always am, because people don't give me answers, but. I might be in a store that's right next to the existing farmer's market. Right. That is open every day of the week and air conditioned with plenty of parking. Nice. That you can buy my products from. So that's why I'm not going to the farmer's markets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying. So uh, another thing I've noticed, so I've seen several vegetable vendors pop up. And over my two years at this market, several people have popped up. And then they start doing CSAs. The second they start doing the CSAs, they bail on the farmer's market. I mean, it's a lot of time. So, you know, when you're doing a CSA, you know, you've got stuff during the week you're doing. Your Saturdays is not an off time. Your Saturday is another work day. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's actually probably a bigger work day because it may be a day that you can get people to come out that normally have other jobs that come out and do help with you and things like that. So, I mean, you may end up doing more work on a Saturday. One thing that talking about CSA model is I have seen farms pop up over the years, have CSAs and just right. go away. They do. I'm going to keep hitting ours hard. But one thing that I have noticed, 
has really surprised me this year is I'm getting a lot more Lake customers, people that live right down the road. Right. And, you know, with the CSA pickup, especially when we're picking up from the farm, they have a bigger window that they can pick up at. Right. You know, they don't, they're not tied down to going to a farmer's market. And being there for an hour. Yeah, or whatever. Picking up in a parking <clears throat> lot for, while the truck's there for an hour. This is what's interesting with the CSA model is, yes, it's kind of a variety. You know, you not know what you're getting and stuff, but people don't have to shop for it either. So there is kind of a, a catch-22 when it comes to you don't have to shop like you do at a farmer's market. You just grab your bag and go. Right. But at the same time, you have some variety. And well, that that is a certain clientele that does CSAs too. I think I think a lot of people like it because it it is that variety. It's that seasonal. Your body's craving certain things during a certain season. Let's just be honest. God knew what He was doing, right? So your body's naturally gonna gonna need things during the winter time to supplement for you not getting vitamin D because you're not outside. Yeah. Um. The, there's just certain things that we that we grow accustomed to, you know, growing up and. And then there's things that your body craves and things that your body requires. And those CSA customers, I think one of the things that so that they enjoy is that element of surprise almost. I mean, you have an idea of what you're getting. Some people uh, are like, I don't want weird stuff, which I try not to do weird stuff. Yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, you know, you get requests and you may, you know, maybe if you have a, you know, an auxiliary check mark, hey, I'm willing to try whatever you're testing or, you know, if you're testing a star fruit or something like that. I mean, I think it gives them that option to where they're, you know, it's random. They don't know what they're going to get. They kind of like the the randomness and, and the non-mundane of what's coming in their box that week. I used to order from Misfit Market back in the day um, when I lived in Florida, and I'd never heard of broccolini, Okay. So we got broccolini one day, and that's been one of my favorite finds ever. So when I see broccolini, I buy it. I buy it all. If I see a <laughs> <laughs> what, what's interesting is the, the some of the customers that were very, very hesitant at first right. really actually came to like it. Yeah, the whole idea about a CSA is that you are being the bank for the farmer, right? And you are providing them financing, right? And see, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize how farm financing typically works is that you get a loan a year loan right that from the bank that you get your seed it's your operational costs right and then you pay back the loan at the end of the year after harvest right and so everyone hits on banks and everything well essentially people are being the bank it's a crowdfunding i mean oh well, yeah essentially it's it's crowdfunding and it's it's targeted crowdfunding because you're the people that are getting the product are actually people funding it. Two, I think it's a great option. A and great two, you know, it allows us knows how much to plant. We know right. how much our sales are going to be. Right. We know how much you know we can start scaling. You know, if we you know if we explode and start selling a lot of CSAs. All right, I can hire somebody. Right. I need to you know do and you this, know that this, and this. Yeah. Right. It's not. I have to guess because what's really been frustrating as some of these farm stores have opened up lately. I'm like, all right. How much produce do you need? Uh, well, I, I don't know what my, I, I, I don't know. Uh, cause I don't know what my foot traffic is going to be. Okay. Um, so I got to start planting seeds next month. Right. So any idea? Well, I really don't want to 
because the produce has such a short shelf life and I really don't want to, you know, commit and put out the money and, okay, so I got to take all the risk, pretty much. Well, and I think you saw some of that last year with, you know, having to feed so much of the animals and, you know. I mean, what do you, I mean, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, if you plant too much, okay, yeah, you got a lot of waste, but, but I think plant the too CS, little. I think the CSA model remedies that. So it if, does. if you just follow the CSA and you don't worry about all, you just focus. So this year, I'm assuming you're focusing more on the CSA. I'm, so I'm wanting to get the CSA up to about half. Okay. So then about half of what I can grow. And then, cause I'm, I have a rough idea right. about probably how much I can move through the farm store. Right. So, you know, using a dual path, which is what a lot of farmers do, is some of these bigger, you know, small, small market gardeners do. Right. Is that they'll do a 100, 150, 200 person CSA. CSA. Yep. And then that'll be about half of their total sales for the year. So what I've noticed a lot of them is they'll do the CSA. And so once they package everybody's boxes for the week, anything they, they have sell, left yeah. or that's what goes to the farmer's market. The CSA gets first picks. And well, and they should. So that's your priority customer. They've prepaid. It's a done deal. They should, they should come first. They take care of us. We take care right. of them. Right. And, and so your abundance, your, your bumper crop kind of stuff goes to your farm stores and your, you the people that wouldn't commit yeah, to taking exactly. a certain amount. Um, maybe throwing in like, you know, in your pork box or your chicken box, you're throwing in an extra couple of vegetables just to wet people's whistle. Hey, we do this also. And the same thing we're going to do with the CSAs is, Everyone's like, I don't want to order too much. I get that, right? And then right. we'll throw it. We're going to give you more. Right. If we have it and we're not going to sell, we're going to give you more. Right. Because you supported, you invested right. in a local farm. It is your crop. Right. It's not the farm's crop. So whether you give it away or can it, it's yours. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of, it's that return on investment. So you paid for this and you're getting a little extra because- you did support us up front. You did. And then you're going to have years where maybe, you know. You might be a little short. You know, deer came out and wiped out your cucumbers one, you know, one night or something like that. And people need to understand that right. too. And that's the part they don't understand. But it goes back to the education part. You, or you you're taking the for, risk. Yeah. But you you're also sharing the, the risk. And you get giant zucchinis, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can use giant zucchini. You just got to cook it differently. I, I didn't have to cook it differently. I, I so for so back back story, Jeremiah grew some like giant. It um, rained like two days, two and or three days, triple size. And, and these zucchinis were every bit of three foot long. They were still nice and soft in the middle. They weren't seedy or or hard. Um, depends on the type of zucchini you grow. <laughs> and I literally cut them up and canned them. I mean, I've got probably twenty five cans of zucchini. We had some friends because we just gave them away. Yeah, and they roasted them. Yeah, and ate them like. Winter squash yeah. and loved them. Yeah. It all goes. <laughs> you just got to be willing to pivot. Yeah, a little bit. But what was funny was, you know, some of the lady, old, old, old ladies would come up to the farm stand. They would literally get the smallest zucchini. I swear <laughs> this one lady picked out one that was like two inches long. And I said, ma'am, I said, some of the bacon ones aren't, aren't seedy. I said, they're fine and tender. She's like, no, no, no. Small zucchini. I'm like, all right. 
you're talking about the black beauty. Right. That's the your tr- that's your traditional type in the store. Yeah. This is not a black beauty. Right. There's a reason I don't grow a black beauty. The stripes are cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yours were really cool looking. That and honestly, anybody I had, you know, when I was selling your stuff at the farmers market, everybody loved it because it was different. You had the yeah. sashimi. Cuc- oh, cucumbers. everyone loves the sashimi cucumber. Uh, man. And then you had some curly one. Yeah, what the Sulongs. The Sulongs didn't do as good, but but they were good. They were and good. I, I cut a few of them up at one of the farmers markets and just had people. Yeah. And I sold, you know, I sold a handful of them. But the sashimi, uh, but the sashimi, oh, they loved everybody them. loved. Yeah, we're. I'm definitely. We're only doing sashimi and pickling. Those were the ones we were eating, like while we were sitting there harvesting them. What? Oh yeah, because yeah. we had so many. Because <clears throat> it looks like an English cucumber. Yeah, but it tastes so much better. And we had one guy. He kept coming back religiously for the for, for the, the cucumber. cucumbers. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to grow those. I'm gonna try. We're gonna try to get some stuff in earlier this yeah. year. And same thing with like chicken. So I, I've sold quite a few chicken CSAs. I think I'm almost more than I did last year. People, people have an issue with that upfront cost, but I have three or four now who've done vegetables, right. chicken and eggs. And so, you know, they can come one stop shop and get everything. Right. And that does appeal to people. Now also another thing that really appeals to people with the CSA model is that they have a guarantee, not. As much of a guarantee as they can right. that they have food in the summer. That's what I'm really going to start trying to hit more of is, yes, it's it may not be this year. It may not be next year. But whatever, you know, partnering with a local farm, you have more of a guarantee right. that you're going to have a local food source than otherwise. You also have more input. So, I mean – if somebody comes to you and they're a consistent customer and they say, Hey, next year, or maybe you're well, planning, could you plant a different variety of kale or a different Well, we variety? had six. So I sent out a survey and we right. had eight people respond to my survey on a newsletter. And one of the people, I forget who it was, said they want hot peppers, like your, you know, like different habaneros ones. And, habaneros and stuff. Hot ones. So we might do, I might do like one or two plants. I mean, just you, have a variety. Yeah, I mean, you put off a couple plants of habaneros, a couple plants of ghost peppers, yeah. a couple plants of jalapeno. You don't even have to take them a whole row because they grow once they once the plant takes off. And, and then another person was like, "I like to have some eggplant." Yeah. I'm like, okay, we don't grow. I don't like eggplant. Yeah, I don't but, I mean, so I might grow a couple plants of eggplant. Yeah. And what we're gonna do? I'm gonna grow some potatoes for the CSA. So I am going to grow stuff just for the CSA. Right. To provide some more variety. But I'm not going to do it on a large scale. That goes back to, you know, feedback. Right. We, you know, we're, we're going to send out surveys and stuff to our CSA members, and they can provide feedback, get feedback from us, and then they can have more of an input. Because that's one thing that people say time and time again is that there are uh, CSA retention, member retention, right. is based upon involvement. Right. And I'm going to make it a point to try to do that more this year. Well, that's, you know, the things like potatoes and sweet potatoes, those take, you know, what, 180 days, you know, things like that. Uh, Some of them more than that. Yeah. Yeah, um, And that's going to come when your regular season slowing down, you know, the harvest time for the potatoes and sweet potatoes. Well, I'm going to do early early potatoes. (coughs) I'm going to do a Yukon Golds. Yeah. That's my favorite. Early. They are my favorite. Megan got some that were canned. Yeah. They were so good. So – they provide a little bit of variety for the first part because right. there's greens. Right. 
you know, you're going to get like five different kinds of greens, but, and I'm going to try to do some experiments so I can get some stuff earlier. Right. Every, every little bit helps. It's uh, I, I like the CSA model. That's probably, you know, I think it's the most sustainable farming model as far as financing goes. You're not relying on the bank. You're not reliant, you know. Just getting people to understand it and buy into it with this market is difficult. But I think it's getting better. Uh, it is. You know, as more people move to the area, we're getting a lot of out-of-state people, a lot of people from my, Northern Virginia my, my retiring and things like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of people from the locations where this is popular, even my micro, it's just, we're dealing with the same clientele really, or we're after the same clientele and trying to develop people that maybe aren't our clientele into clientele. And that's, you know, that's the, that's where the education comes into play. It's, it does away with insurance right. companies. It does away with banks. Right. So it, that's or, interest charges and insurance charges. You're, you're saving the farmer from having to buy. Yep. And so is, yeah. you're providing a huge resource to the farmer. Yep. They know how much to plant. They know what their sales are going to be. Right. They know their logistics when it comes to how many bundles to package, how right. much rows to plant. That is a huge, huge help. And we ask everyone to keep spreading the word to their neighbors. And also, we're going to offer a weekly bundle as we start the season. So you don't have to sign up for a CSA. Or if you know your neighbor doesn't want to sign up for a CSA share now, they can get a weekly bundle. They can try some good produce. Well, I mean, and it, I, I would say the people encourage, if you don't know if you want to try a full one, you've got what, like a four person CSA? Uh, uh, one, one to two, three to four, and a four to six. So say if you get the four to six and split it with a neighbor, you know, so you've got two people, one person picking up every week and, you know, yeah, you've got two people you can split that produce for. And if you've got more than enough, then you give it away. You've, you're getting it at a reasonable cost. You're getting fresh local produce that was harvested that week, you know. So for instance, for a if for a Wednesday pickup, we're going to harvest on Tuesday. Right. Unless there's some things that keep for a long time, which are very there's not a lot that keeps for a week. Yeah, other than your once you get your potatoes and yeah. things like that. And then for like Saturday, if you have a Saturday pickup, it'll be harvested on Friday. Right. I, I mean, mean, you're talking a day and then, you know, a couple hours in the car and coolers kind of thing, so I, 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 you can't get much fresher than that. That's right. Another thing that I want to hit on is you can give it away too. If you want to extra help a local farm, you can donate and we'll drop it off at a local food pantry. Or we had a, a lady who was donating $800 a month of our chicken. Wow. To a local food pantry. Okay. And then we threw in the farm, threw in some more donations. That's awesome. So, you know, you, you can donate a CSA share to a food bank. You can donate a CSA share to a friend, a neighbor. You guys have no idea how much every little bit helps. For instance, we are, you know, crunching the numbers. I, I was looking at, you know, finishing some infrastructure and stuff. And, you know, we sell our CSA shares, 100 CSA shares. We're going to, I'm going to be comfortable. Right. At least to start getting into the season when I can start, you know, bringing in some farm stand 
Well, I know that was a, a big concern with you last year is trying to find consistent help. And I mean, yes, I'm still, you did have some volunteers and things like that. But with the CSAs, if, if you sell that many CSAs, you know, ahead of time that, Hey, I can pay somebody 10, $12 an hour to come out and harvest or come out and weed or, you know, something, something along those lines. You know what your resources are to use for that season. I don't think people fully understand that. That's huge. And I only understand it because I came and helped her. So. <laughs> Um, no, and nice. I didn't come help consistently like I wanted to, but it, you know. Oh man, it was. Now, uh, Megan pointed that out at you know the first part of the season. We had like four people helping, right? And then they all quit at the same time <laughs> for various different reasons. It was like that sucks. I, I mean, I think you broke me a little bit. I do have a heel spur now that I've been fighting uh-huh, with, uh-huh. and, and uh, you know, I, I still tried to come out when I had free time, but I I, I literally it. enjoyed it, you know. And if people want to still come out and help, I, I did not put this in the CSA structure. Right. But we will give a, a refund for a certain amount of hours volunteered. Well, I'll tell you this. I never left empty-handed for helping out, um, and I enjoyed every minute of it, even had I not received anything. So, y'all, I mean, you definitely get out and and come volunteer, just come visit and hang out with Jeremiah and Megan and the kids and, you know. It's a good time for everybody. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Chicken chit chat a little bit. Next time, Megan should be back and we're going to talk about pork and some lessons learned from last year. Everyone is really loving our pork. Did I give you some pork? No, I've been meaning to come by. I got some I processed myself. I'll let you have. Okay. I need to free up some freezer space and I got a couple more pigs I need to get rid of. Uh, I do have three dates for okay. some hulks that i'll be uh advertising i am working on a new thing on the website okay so everyone doesn't really understand custom cut sheets so i got this idea i got this idea from joel salton which i am amazed how many people haven't heard of him which goes to show you that there's a whole another set of marketing out there yep. that he hasn't even reached but as the quote-unquote godfather of regenerative sustainable agriculture. I got this idea from you. So I'm going to create bundles on the website. Okay. And you will go through and pick your share size. So whether an eighth of a hog or a quarter of a half, it'll be, you'll just go through a drop down list and say, Hey, I want pork chops. Right. I want ham steaks or it'll automatically eliminate. Or conditionally, you know, you'll have conditions that say, if exa- example, if you select ham steaks, well, you can't select a ham. Right. So, uh, Or if you select a quarter, you can't have a, you know, front shoulder and, and butt yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I got to kind of figure out some of that. It'll make it more e- easier for people to right. understand. And, you know, they can basically choose their cut list. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's only so many ribeyes on a cow kind of thing. So. Yeah, people people think a cow is made up a whole steak. <laughs> uh, one of the things I noticed when I when I uh, when I first got into buying shares is, you know, for instance, pigs, you can't have a lot of bacon if you also want ribs. So if you want meaty ribs, there's a trade off, and, and there's a lot of you know, yeah. But then there's people cutting bacon from other parts. It's not the belly. It's you know, so bacon. Like now we. So bacon it can be side, right, which is over the ribs and the belly. 
But if you take that side meat, you're losing rib meat. Correct. So that's what I'm kind of getting at. So if you just want ribs and just the rib meat in between the ribs, right. and you can then eat side you're bacon. only getting belly for yeah. bacon. Bacon. But if you want a lot of bacon, you could sacrifice some ribs. So I mean, that's just something people need to know. I got a lot of ribs. People haven't been buying ribs. That's crazy to me. They, um, I sold out of my tenderloin, my whole tenderloin. Yeah. People love it, which kind of surprised me. I thought they'd be more of a pork chop. No, nah, man, because you can you can take that tenderloin and do so much with it, or you can cut it into pork chops. And I think most people that are eating pork chops know that, I would hope. Maybe not. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you what. Next time, I'm just going to go like all tenderloin. Yeah. Cut whole tenderloins. But back to mine. So making back to this, your plug. Yeah, back to my plug about making this uh, a little more convenient for people. Yeah. You know, you're not just buying an eighth of a share like some farmers do. Right. You'll be able to go in and see, hey, this is what I'm going to get in an eighth of a share. Right. Now, the weight will fluctuate. Right. Because of the size of the pig and everything. Correct. But you'll be able to more conveniently understand what you're getting. Yeah, it's going to definitely take some work on on your website side. Oh, to, I, I was playing around out. with it today because I had to buy another plugin, right. of course. WooCommerce is awesome. Like that's the one reason I went with WordPress and WooCommerce, right? Because some of the biggest websites out there are WordPress Everything, based. Yeah, yeah, they make you pay for it. It's ever they nickel and dime you for it. It's so, any software is like that now. But I will say, you know, once I get it tweaked, I, I, it'll be a lot convenient for right. people. They can better understand. Of course, once I get it built, I just got to plug right. it in and go. It's yeah. not something. And, of course, I've had some people still confused about how to sign up for CSA shares. Sorry. I'm trying to make it as convenient as possible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a work in progress. For, we'll talk We'll talk more about – I'll talk more next time with Megan about the custom bundles and explaining that. All right, this has been So Grow Listen. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this Fossil Hills Farm Podcast. Together on this Pilgrim Trail, Pilgrim Trail.